Welcome back to the UNT MindSpark podcast. You are listening to the Make a Life Stories series. I'm your host, Madhin. Today we have a special guest, Kristen Day, the Makerspace Librarian from The Hive at Louisville Public Library. We are delighted to have you for our podcast. Hi, how are you? <laughs> I'm fine. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. Thank you. Um, so um, going through your profile and your you know, resume, um, it was fascinating. You know, like you have a quite, a quite a lot of experience in teaching, special, educa- special education, as well as, you know, you've taught uh, a few places um, uh, at Louisville. You've been in Louisville for a long time. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I I grew up out of the state, but I moved down this way uh, around when I was 14 or so. And I've just been a, all around this area since then. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, I even used to get library books at the Louisville Public Library. Uh-huh. Is that how you started coming to Louisville <laughs> <laughs> or started? Is that how you started working over there? Um, no, no, no. Um, uh, it's a very different story uh, mm-hmm. from uh, just using the collection here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was really interesting when I came in the first time for my interview after not being here for a while because they had actually renovated the entire library. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they had gained about six times the size of the library originally mm-hmm. and I was just staring around at everything like it was just so huge it was it was an eye-opener mm-hmm. <laughs> so, nice nice yeah. um so I'm gonna uh this is the first question that I wanted to ask you I know I've mm-hmm. sent you a few questions but um I was more curious as a librarian mm-hmm. uh myself hoping um, you know future librarian in, in about a semester or so. Um, so how did you transition from being a librarian to a makerspace librarian? What was the you know, process like? So it's really, it was actually kind of fluid, um, which is odd to say because there are no classes for a makerspace librarian. There's, there's no training there. Um, so I went to UNT. Mm-hmm. And I got my degree. Um, and then the, the, the library I worked at previous uh, to Louisville um, was really starting to get into maker stuff. And so um, we had 3D printers. And then we started getting a Carvey and then a laser. And I just learned this stuff, um, really enjoyed getting my hands on it, playing around with the machines. Uh, and one of the, one of my coworkers there actually sent me an email um, letting me know, hey, Louisville just posted a position. And he sent that over to me and I kind of looked at it and I went, wow, I've never heard of a makerspace librarian before in my life. There's an actual dedicated librarian for this. Okay. Um, but it sounds, it sounds like me. So I'll go for it. And so then I'm here. That's pretty much it. Uh, when I first heard, um, you know, Makerspace Library, and I was like, wow. So Makerspace has this option. 
Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. and um, and in fact, I was asking my coworker, hey, have you come across a makerspace librarian? And uh, he said, like, no. I mean, like, um, and, and I was curious. The first thing that that had me interested was, oh, okay. Now, how did they come up with the name? Or is it something that is common in public libraries? Or uh, is it some, um, you know, makerspace? Uh, in a library environment itself is a new thing, right? It's it's like not not something that you would normally come across uh, in a lot of libraries. No, yeah, it's it's definitely growing in the area. Mm -hmm. I've been to quite a few makerspace openings in the DFW area over mm -hmm. the years now, um, but the way that Louisville had it. Um, was they they had everything set that they could have a full-time librarian position solely dedicated to the makerspace. So they just kind of went with it and said, well, I guess that's the makerspace librarian. And so that's how they named it, I'm assuming. I don't know if there was a big powwow to kind of figure out how to name it or anything. <laughs> but um, yeah, I thought it was interesting myself. Um, I'm also part of the adult services team. Mm -hmm. That is nice. Um, I, I know you have a background in uh, being an adult services librarian yourself um, yes. prior to this job, right? So, um, so tell me more about you know how uh, your previous job helped you to kind of like transition to this one. Well, because makerspaces are so new. Mm -hmm. uh, in public libraries, there aren't a lot of librarians who have, a, I keep saying a lot, there aren't many librarians who have a lot of knowledge of these machines. Mm -hmm. And at my previous position, um, I was able to help patrons and, and man the, the service desks and, and do all of that stuff as well. But by using the machines, I was able to gain that, that knowledge that was able to help me to get the position that I'm in now. Mm -hmm. um, it only helps to have that knowledge. So it definitely, my previous position definitely helped me get here. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Uh, because like when I started working at a makerspace, um, I did not have any experience working with 3D printing or laser or anything of that sort. But it was fun to actually learn something new. And, um, and I was wondering how um, it really helped, uh, um, you know, when, when trying to help community patrons uh, especially. Uh, how, did, how did that work? When, um, do, is there some sort of a re, uh, like a research that you do um, to uh, not just with um, training patrons with the equipment in general, but also is there some process that you go through even before the training uh, or if, if certain patrons are more, uh, uh, you know, more than the practical thing, are there, uh, do you get patrons who are more research oriented or who wanted to do things uh, creative, something like that? Oh, we do. We get, um, we get all kinds of patrons in the space. Um, and that's part of what I love about it. 
Um, we have some people come in who are doing very specific 3D printing jobs down to the millimeter or laser, laser cutting jobs down to the millimeter. Um, and so they have a lot of research questions. They have a lot of very specific things that I may or may not have answers for. Um, one of the things I had to learn very quickly is to be okay with not knowing everything. Uh, because if you're not okay with that, you're going to burn out very quickly. Uh, <laughs> that's, um, there's just too much information. It's information overload if you attempt to do that. There's every single machine. You have to know the maintenance. You have to know troubleshooting. You have to know um, all of this different information. And keeping it all in your brain is just... It's not possible to keep everything in there. So just knowing where to find the information is the best. And so we tend to direct the patrons to the different resources that are available, um, namely like uh, user manuals. Um, if specific machines have YouTube channels, we'll lead them to those. Um, on their websites, they may have tutorials or specifications and things like that. So we kind of lead them towards those things so that we can help them, but also, you know, we don't know everything. <laughs> so, um, but we get those people and then we also get people who come in and they don't know anything about what they're doing. They just know what their finished product should be. Mm -hmm. And then they, they just want help getting from part A point A to Z. And um, we help them with that as well. Okay. I think uh, part of the librarian position in general, uh, we, we, we don't know everything because like, and we have to be okay with that and uh, being able to learn and adapt to new uh, things uh, at work is an important aspect. As, as you mentioned, it was, yeah. Um, I think that also helped you in 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 kind of like learning new um, you know uh, equipments and being being able to adapt to new things. I guess yeah. did, did it prepare you to that? Yeah, it's important to to be able to adapt. Um, and to be honest, at the beginning, I wasn't really as willing to adapt as I needed to be. Um, <laughs> and it's just one of those things that you kind of learn as you go along so uh you just have to just go with the flow to figure out what works for you okay so my uh next question leads to um you know again to this area but what is a change or preparation you need to go through in educating libraries about makerspace it could be community libraries or because a lot of people uh, including myself, uh, when I first started over here, I did not know libraries can accommodate makerspace. And I was like, makerspace uh, itself is a new thing because growing up in India, we didn't have that opportunity. Though I was interested in learning, you know, uh, circuit boards and everything, I wanted to try something new, uh, which is fascinating to me. Now, uh, it's, it's interesting and I wanted to uh, try more, but I think these concept, uh, the concept of makerspace, and um, and how would you kind of like educate um, for someone who has no 
background or you know from from a different culture or how did how did you find that experience did you did you um, come across anything like that it's very um it's different with each person that you talk to um how much they're going to understand um you know you can do outreach and things like that to try and get the community to know uh, about me about maker spaces um some people still come into our maker space and say they didn't know it was there um uh, that makes me sad but uh there we are um there's also people who say oh wow i haven't been to a library in 10 years but i heard about your maker space and now here i am so you can see some people are getting library cards or are renewing their public library cards because the library is now catering to their interests as well so you're getting in more clientele more patrons into the library so that they can learn um it's important to have a i guess you could say like an elevator speech that you have prepped whenever you're talking to somebody who has you just have to assume they have no idea what a maker space is um and just when they come in the door have a nice happy demeanor and then you know you can go right into it when they ask you what is this place uh, <laughs> and then you you know because we get that a lot it's what is this uh, -huh. uh with the starry like look in their eyes as they're just looking everywhere so amazed that we're even there mm -hmm. um but it's important to have at least an outline of some sort of an elevator speech so that you can just have that prepared for yourself so you're not 100% um going to stumble over your words mm -hmm. when you're just thrown into that situation mm -hmm. and so um Yeah, we have a lot of people come in randomly that don't know about maker spaces. But it's also nice cuz you get to educate them and see their eyes light up like that. Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. Um so what major challenges you had to overcome while working at Hive? COVID. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> COVID's the big one. Um you know there's there's always going to be some challenges um in any position that you're working um you're working at um but covid definitely threw everything through it's like it threw everything out the window um we had no idea what we were going to do at that point because we were closed so we decided to do um a few specific things like sew some masks um uh, and uh print some uh, ear savers for anybody in the city who wanted them um and we changed our 3D printing situation so people could um order 3D prints and pick them up through the drive through but uh the biggest thing we did was we created um training videos for online for on our website um so people can do their training for the machines before they even walk in the door um so they can learn everything they need to know 
you know, on, on a basic level mm-hmm. before they get to us. Um, and we worked really hard on that. That's nice. Uh, I mean, I think we all had to go through those change, transition, transitioning from a regular uh, library to a library after COVID, you know, um, which kind of like did uh, impose a lot of challenges from, you know, the work aspect, as well as the way we approach things, I guess. Yeah. Um, and um, talking about, uh, you know, the, uh, the mass and things that you, uh, you, you make a space kind of like, you know, um, was involved in. So, um, so do you have, so how did that start, you know? Well, um, all of the staff members didn't have masks at the time. And Um, we knew that everyone was going to need a bunch. Mm -hmm. So we got a little powwow together uh, (laughs) of a small group of people who knew how to sew Mm -hmm. and uh, just powered through and just made a whole bunch of them. Um, And then, uh, and then the, the ear savers, like I said, were for the city, if anyone needed them, Mm -hmm. because a lot of people didn't like it going behind the ear. Uh Yeah. 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 Um, So, um, so tell me about uh, a time when things did not go according to plan. What did you learn and how did you fix it? This is one of the ones I, I couldn't figure out an answer to. <laughs> uh, oh. <laughs> I was like, what, what didn't it go according to plan? COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, COVID's the answer to everything now. Uh, no, it's not. Um, was there any new um, thing that you kind of like wanted to implement in your place? And, you know, well, and- actually, actually, mm-hmm. um, I, I, have, I have a pretty good one. Um, we were doing a class on making jewelry mm-hmm. for um, using the laser cutter mm-hmm. and silhouette studio. And so everyone made their designs and we were getting ready to go over to the laser and we didn't realize that everything we just did would make it cut in the laser and not engrave or anything. It would just cut. So half of the pretty designs that they made were going to be horrible. Everything was going to be wrong. It was going to be completely messed up. And we only had probably about 20 minutes left of the program. And I, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I, I was like, wait, I didn't know that that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we generally, we, we run tests whenever we do any program to make sure things like that don't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but it slipped through. And everyone was like, well, it's okay. We're doing good. And, and I was just sitting there trying to figure out what we could do. And I just, I, you know, I had to take a step back and reevaluate and figure out if there was something that a, a different way that we could approach it or how we could teach them something else quickly so that we could make it work. And um, luckily, we were able to figure out how to change the lines in silhouette to make it work fairly quickly 
Mm -hmm. um, and I had a couple people who could stay a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. So they were more than welcome to stay. So we were able to get everybody uh, their jewelry. So it ended up okay. But for a bit there, it was a little, it was a little concerning. Mm -hmm. um, programs you, you have down to a timeline and you really, it's hard when you have any problems happen. True, true. Um, I completely get that. Um, now, uh, talking about multitasking, uh, as a librarian, um, you get to do a lot of things at the same time. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, managing time is kind of like, you know, an important aspect. And I'm learning that as I'm doing a lot of, uh, you know, jobs simultaneously. Uh, but at the same time, now, how did you manage time when it comes to the makerspace or as well as you also mentioned that you manage uh, the adult services, you know, uh, team, right? Well, I'm part of the adult services team. So okay. in that aspect, if we don't have anyone who can man one of the desks, like information or reference, um, I can be called to come out there and, and help with that. Um, I also still do some collection development. And so um, everything is, it's very important to have a schedule book or, or notes or something that you can use to manage everything. Um, we have Google Calendar mm -hmm. and I have it on there like once a month one specific hour this is laser maintenance hour mm -hmm. this is 3d maintenance hour i have mm -hmm. them all listed in there so that i get an alert mm -hmm. um, because if you don't do something like that it's just gonna fall by the side because you're not gonna go oh yes i remember it's been four weeks i need to do this mm -hmm. you're just not gonna remember we you'll have slept quite a bit since then. And that's just not gonna, it's just not gonna happen. Okay. So um, keeping, keeping track of it, using a planner or mm -hmm. a schedule mm -hmm. uh, is very important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I completely <laughs> get that because uh, I, th I think these days we have, um, you know, Microsoft Teams and everything uh, to help you, you know, so. Yeah, it'll get out of hand very quickly mm -hmm. if you don't. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you look back and think about a setback that led to your uh, future success, what would that be? It's one of those, do I want to share this or not? Yeah, why not? So after I graduated at UNT, there was, okay, there were quite a lot of graduates at that time. And with TWU in the area as well, we had a huge flux of librarians in a very condensed type market. And so I'd never worked in a library before. Uh, I didn't have any connections. Um, you know, nobody knew who I was, anything like that. And so it was a struggle to get my first librarian job. And at the beginning, you know, I felt very, very let down. Um, but what was funny 
is that while I was searching, I interviewed at a very specific library for a youth position. And they, they said, you know, they liked me, but they found someone else, you know. And then it was, it was a while later, I interviewed at the same library for an adult position with the same interviewer. And he remembered me. And that's where I got my first library job. That is and, amazing. <laughs> uh -huh. And that is the library that I learned how to do 3D printing and how to do lasers and how to do carving and all of that, where I met my librarian friend who sent me the information for this position. So I got here. That is amazing. Oh, my God. I, I, I'm in that position where, you know, like I'm applying for jobs and I hear the same thing that you are, um, you know, you sh just shared, you know, um, we really like to, but we found another person. <laughs> um, so, I mean, like, uh, what would you say for those folks who are kind of like, you know, uh, applying for new positions, you know? Um, and I think, um, as, as you mentioned, as a librarian, I think you need to acquire as much uh, experience as possible from all backgrounds, not just one background, because when you end up in a public library space and when you have a maker space or something like that, I think you, your previous job really helped you to learn those skills um, and uh, it really transitioned you. Um, and now, you know, you're perfect for that job, you know? So it's kind of like, you know, you need that kind of, you know, uh, the initial break or, you know, the first job that, that helps you to learn a few things at the same time, you know? And I think you're fortunate with that. Uh, well, and I will say this, that position was also part-time. Mm -hmm. So I had wanted to get full time uh, right away. And, you know, I, I looked a lot of places and I applied and, you know, anyone who's struggling with all of that, even if you, if, as long as you can, if you have to take a part time position, you're getting a foot in the door somewhere because you can learn some skills in that position. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm, I mean, kind of proof that it, it helped me get here. So even though I spent a little bit of time getting really frustrated because I could not find what I wanted, mm -hmm. uh, you know, don't give up. Mm -hmm. We'll be able to find it. That's, uh, thanks. Thanks for that. <laughs> thanks yeah. for sharing because it, it really, you know, helps to hear, uh, you know, stories from people who had gone through that and you know so that you can kind of like you know okay you know keep applying till you find that one job that you wanted to land in um and i think you know um are there any resources you utilized uh when learning something new or troubleshooting um, because as a librarian you use a lot of databases you might have come across that and how how did how did uh, uh, how did you know uh, troubleshooting 
uh, using um, for a 3D printer or troubleshooting for a laser thing? Uh, how did that happen? You know, I, are you, are you, I mean, like right now, I'm in that stage where, okay, I know how to use this, but I want to troubleshoot this. What happens if something is not working? You know, and that is an important skill uh, in itself. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really hard um, doing collection development for the makerspace. There are no laser books that I can purchase that are for lasering the way that we want to have it presented. They're for medical lasering. They're for uh, you know educational books that are $100 plus. They're not for laser cutting for beginners. Um, so there's not a whole lot of resources out there just for the general public either. Um, what I did, what I tend to do is number one, I read the manual. I never used to read manuals. I used to look look at them and like read, you know, the very basic of what I needed. And then I'd put it in a cabinet and I never touch it again. Um, but now I actually like read the whole thing. And the laser we have has a manual that's probably three fourths of an inch thick. Mm -hmm. And I've read the whole thing. Um, it's a good read, actually, and that sounds really weird to say, <laughs> but it is because um, they give you some very good information. Mm -hmm. But also, knowing the distributor, like who created the item that you have. So, for example, the laser I have is an epilogue. Uh, your library could have a Thunder or some other brand, uh, a Dremel. Uh, Glowforge. Knowing that information, going to their website, they have most likely, um, Epilogue does, a knowledge base where they have questions that people have posted, mm -hmm. which most likely include what you're thinking of. Mm -hmm. um, and they do have customer support, but that can take a while. Um, and you also learn specific things. Uh, as you go along. So there may be a Facebook group that is dedicated to users of this specific machine. Mm -hmm. And they all ask questions of each other for the troubleshooting that you need. So you can kind of get little tidbits there. Now, of course, those are little extra things, you know, they're not like reading the manual or anything like that, getting it from them directly. But you kind of have to pull the information where you can to kind of create a full picture. Um, and then if you need to still keep contacting them. I learned how to do that a lot. Um, and thankfully a lot of them have chats now, so you can just chat, chat them up. Um, and always anyone who, who works in a makerspace for anything like this, what I would say is always make sure you take a picture of any issue that you are having. If there's an error on the screen, take a picture of it before it disappears mm -hmm. or write it down because then you want to give them every little piece of information because you don't want to have them come back and say, okay, well now can you tell me what the error is? And then two days later you get a response 
you, you want to give them everything and say, now tell me what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've kind of learned that that's the way that I have to do it. <laughs> that is nice. I mean, um, the process that uh, I, I think it, it's really helpful for us in general to, you know, uh, if at all you if something is going um, the way uh, it's not supposed to then you know it's good always to make a copy of that or take a picture of that and then later on kind of like you know contact folks who know uh things about that or how to fix that um and as you said like um that is really helpful um you know uh as so did you have any fear or hesitation of developing new skills in a makerspace? I know you mentioned that before. <laughs> I had a little fear. Um, it was, mo- most of my fears related to um, teaching everyone how to use everything in the makerspace because I have to teach them how to do it properly. Mm-hmm. And then if I don't convey that information well, then they could fail. Mm-hmm. And then they'll feel bad or worse. We may have a fire. There could be some other thing that happens. Mm-hmm. And so that ends up being my fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I try and make my handouts and, and videos and things as thorough as I can. Um, sometimes they may be too thorough um, <laughs> to make sure that they get all the information that they need. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have a lot of patrons. and I. Actually, I shouldn't say a lot. Um, we have every now and then we have patrons who are scared of the machines. And I've had staff members who have um, expressed um, fear or anxiety about using the machines. Um, it's something new. They don't know. They don't know anything about it. Um, all they know with a laser is that it has a laser blanket and a light and a fire no, oh, i can't see <laughs> all i know is that it has a fire blanket mm-hmm. and a fire extinguisher and they automatically don't want to use it because that's a scary combination mm-hmm. um but even just today i had someone come in who had expressed anxiety previously in using the machine mm-hmm. and i had just done some training with them um, a week ago and they came in and I only had to help them minimally because I always tell them get as far as you can before you ask for my help Mm -hmm. because everyone knows more than they think they know they they want you to come over and help right away because they're anxious but they can actually some people can get almost all the way through the process of what they want to do and they They didn't know they had that much knowledge and then they feel, you know, they feel more confident Mm -hmm. and you want them to have that confidence so that they can come back and um, feel like they can continue on their maker journey. And so this person came in and used the machine with very little help. And at the end they went, oh, that wasn't that bad. And I said, of course, it wasn't bad at all. It's fairly straightforward. You only really have to worry about fire with these things. And I pointed them out, but um, 
they all look a lot, a lot of the machines just look a lot scarier than they really are. They're big, you know, they've got all these warnings all over them. And you have to, you have to know your safety precautions. You have to have a healthy fear of the space. Because if you don't have that healthy level of fear, that's when you start having accidents. So, and it has to be that, I mean, yeah. So, and you don't want to, but yeah, a healthy fear is, is definitely needed because that will keep you grounded in doing what you were doing and mm -hmm. not traveling around the makerspace or ignoring the machine you're working with. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you go from there. Um, so now, are you the only person who trains, uh, you know, uh, patrons of, um, with makerspace equipment? Or do you have, patron, uh, you know, uh, part-time staff or student workers who are trained uh, to um, perform these tasks? So the staff who work in the makerspace is going to be me. Mm -hmm. And then I have a part-time tech. It's a, a librarian um, who is amazing. Uh, and if, we are the only two who are dedicated to the space. Um, but after that, uh, there are times when we need to be in a meeting or something may occur and we can't be there. So we make sure that we train everyone in adult services and everyone in youth services so they have the general knowledge to be able to help the patrons and to troubleshoot anything that needs to happen. That is nice. Yeah, it's always good to have, you know, more folks know what the equipments are and then, you know, be able to train people. Uh, Absolutely. Um, so what is the role of a makerspace in your community? Uh, how often, uh, I, know, I know I asked this question before, uh, and in a different way, but um, we just wanted to know, um, you know, the role of makerspace in your community. How active is it? And um, I, I, do you do some sort of like outreach programs for, uh, you know, patrons on a regular basis? So since COVID hit, we haven't really done any outreach. Um, we're going to start back with that, um, hopefully towards the end of the year. It's um, still kind of come and go, checking to see um, how everything is. But uh, we do have the space open. Anyone can come in and use the machines. And so we have our days that are really busy and days that are really slow. Um, we tend to have more people at night and on the weekend. Um, but our programs are always full. Always. Um, so we have people come in to do, um, things for, we have people come in who are seeking patents for different things that they are creating. So we're supporting the entrepreneurship of the community. Um, I mean, we're a place of learning. So the interesting thing about our makerspace is that we have, a community that really likes crafting um, and that side of things. And so we have a lot more programs catered towards that. 
And um, most of the people who use the makerspace are going to be adults. So <clears throat> we try and, you know, teach them everything um, and help them out at lifelong learning, like I mm -hmm. said. <laughs> I also wrote down a testing facility because <laughs> everyone's testing their different projects. Um, we have some people come in with uh, just one piece and they're like, I just need to make sure this is right. And then I'll bring in 10 pieces of wood tomorrow. Okay. And they just go and they test their design and it works well. And then sure enough, they come back the next day. So, I mean, we try and be whatever anyone needs us to be um, within the scope of making. That is nice. I mean, I like the way you framed it. What a way, whatever way that they like to be. Yeah. <laughs> they like the makerspace to be. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's really nice. Um, what are um, some of the programs you have developed or organized uh, that help kids to so, develop problem-solving skills? So this is the interesting one because we have all of our kids' programs like um, circuits, um, uh, paper circuits, uh, uh, coding, all of those. Uh, we have youth librarians who are doing those. And so they're not really, they're part of the maker land, you know, but they're not necessarily ones that I'm doing. So it's hard for me to say since I haven't done a lot of kids stuff. Um, I tend to do more of the adult programming and uh, the, te the teen stuff. Mm -hmm. We've been getting more teens in. So your, uh, your library focuses more... Um towards the adult uh, is that which uh, I mean or it does do kids related but it's just that not oh you're fine that's stuck something got stuck in my throat okay <laughs> I apologize oh you're fine um so you mentioned um you have a separate team who does a kids program and uh so how often do they you know do those every season Okay. Uh, we have at least one, if not two, programs that are related to like paper circuits or um, coding. Mm -hmm. uh, we've had coding camps in the summer that were spanned over three months. Um, and so uh, we've had those as well. Um, all the programs that we run in the makerspace are mm -hmm. actually the way that we have them is they are available for adults, teens, and kids. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we have to say that it's families instead of kids because the family has to help. They have to help each other on projects because it may be a little bit harder than, mm -hmm. uh, than what the little ones can, can do. And so we do have programs where children come in, mm -hmm. um, but they're not, it's not specified that it has to be a children's program. And um, we have some very specific kids that come to lots of the programs and they, they want to be there all the time. So it's nice. Mm, so what is the uh, one thing that I wanted to ask is um, since it is a public library, uh, what, um, what interests most of your patrons? 
when they see a makerspace, first see a makerspace, what uh, grabs their attention? You know, oh yeah, that makes them excited. <laughs> um, it, first, it's the 3D printers. Mm-hmm. And that's because right when you walk in the door, the 3D printers are right there. And so, um, and usually they're running. So that'll really grab their attention. Um, and a lot of the kids really like getting up close and looking. Um, but once they see everything that's in the space, people really gravitate towards the lasers. Mm-hmm. They like the laser mm-hmm. a lot. That's why we <laughs> have two now. Amazing. Nice. Uh, so, um, so the troubleshooting part and everything. So you know how to troubleshoot when something goes um, bad or for the most part, okay. yeah, for the most part. Now, there, there's also specific companies um, do have um, plans when you purchase the machine. Um, so specifically for any libraries that are looking at purchasing, um, having a plan that uh, will actually allow for a, an extended warranty every year to be paid for mm-hmm. is what you want. Um, because then if something breaks, they can just send you a new part. And generally, depending on the company, it could be, here's a new part and here's a PDF of how to put it in. Thanks. There's also um, some companies that are local and they may just say, oh, well, we'll come out and we'll fix it for you. Okay. Um, but they can, depending on how your library is set up and uh, how the other company is set up, they may be able to come into the library to do some uh, maintenance on the machines. Okay. And so then you don't have to. That's, yeah, that's nice. <laughs> Very as long nice. As, yeah, that's nice. As yeah. long as they can fix it uh, so that we don't have to, you know. Yeah. But uh, we've had it where one, you know, it was, they were, they were slammed. It was busy. And they just said, can we just send you the part? And we were like, sure. And mm-hmm. they just sent it to us and we took care of it. So, I mean, as you, as you work in a space, the longer you work in it, the more you get comfortable taking the machines apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's like, you know, for me, uh, ripping off a computer and then ripping off everything is easy for me because back in, in, in the old days when I was, you know, a student, I had only one computer. I had, if something goes bad, I have to, uh, you know, work on it and figure out, oh, what's what's wrong with this computer? That's how I kind of like play with it. And I think um, makerspace uh, uh, gives me that space where mm-hmm. I can play with it, you know, and even if it goes bad, it's okay. I can kind of like learn, uh, even if my print wasn't right, you know, it's okay. So I failed many times uh, and I learned <laughs> during that process, which is, which is fascinating, you know, um, not a lot of, uh, I, I think uh, one thing that, helped me uh, during this process of being in maker space is to, you know, uh, fail. It's okay to fail and you can learn. <laughs> and, and there are people, uh, amazing people and, you know, uh, who support you uh, and, you know, help you to get better at things. 
And that's what a makerspace does. And I feel like, you know, I, I wish all libraries have a makerspace because it, 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 you know, it is interdisciplinary, like just like libraries, you know, it's so uh, diverse and people of all backgrounds uh, and you can attract people of all ages as well. And so what do you think about that aspect? Oh, I love it. Um, we just get uh, so many different people from different walks of life from all around the world come in. Uh, and they're all working on such interesting projects, uh, things I wouldn't even think of. Uh, and, you know, kids are just making something random on the 3D printer, but they're just so crazy happy about it. It's just, you know, it, it just brightens your day. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I really enjoy um, the, the fact that we can just, we can just throw everybody in there and just tell them to go, you know? <laughs> Um, one of the things I truly, uh, truly enjoy um, is when I have people working on the machines and they start talking to each other and they start sharing tips. And then it's funny when they start sharing tips and calling me out by name. Kristen said this and I'm like, what, what? Um, but when it's them, you know, working together. I, I love that because it's creating more community within the community. And so I want, I want the makerspace to have that feeling like you can talk to other people in here. You can ask them questions. You don't have to feel like somebody's going to like glare at you and shush you like mm -hmm. craziness. I play music in the space. You don't have to worry about noise. I'm the loudest person. It's fine. You know, just do your thing and, you know, enjoy your time in here. And that's, we try and be as friendly as we can in that regard. So we can get to the point where people are talking to each other and, and sharing ideas. Mm -hmm. um, so if you... If you would like to share a project or um, a success uh, story or uh, that that kind of like, you know, uh, that you've come across over a period of time, there could be many. Uh, what what would that be? Any any success stories? Uh, I, I don't know if I have that over here. <laughs> oh, yeah. What are yeah. some exciting success stories? So like um, for patrons? Uh, yeah, patrons or um, or uh, as a maker uh, yourself um, that you've come across. We've had a couple people come in to make things that they wanted to get patent and very specifically came in over months to get this thing right. And I don't want to talk about what it is because I don't want to possibly like uh, yeah. Um, so, uh, but just seeing, just seeing them get excited and everything when they're done with it, um, it's just, it's a huge success. For us in the makerspace, some of our best, our biggest successes have been with programming. Um, because our community 
is very big on crafting and um, that aspect of making, sewing, things like that, the fiber arts. So it's always a success when we get a, di- a diverse group of people for a class. And so a lot of our classes geared towards the fiber arts and towards uh, crafts. And what we've noticed in our city is that a lot of those classes have uh, have different people who come and then they go, ooh, and they come a lot and that's fine. Um, but they mostly tend to be women. And so when we end up with a class where we have mostly guys or mostly teens that isn't specifically geared towards teens, then that's really cool. Um, very, It's different from what we're used to. And so we just had a class. We had an outside speaker come and he did mini um, miniature painting. Mm-hmm. So we had little miniatures that they painted and we had 15 people. And that's the most people we've ever had at a class where they stayed in the class for three hours. I think it was three hours long. And almost half of them were teenagers. And just a little less than that were guys. So it, it, uh, from what I, I can um, um, you know, understand is that um, the programs that you conduct uh, as long, um, you know, when, when you have a diverse group, it's it's a huge success when you have a diverse group because you have uh, attracted too many people from different backgrounds, right. as well as different age groups and everything. And and uh, I, th- I think it's 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 a success from my end as well. You know, like to have uh, or to uh, um, to uh, attract more group. Uh, more um, different groups of different age groups and different backgrounds and everything for a particular program that you, you know, uh, right. conduct is definitely uh, interesting. So, and, and you also mentioned like, you know, sewing uh, was something that you found a lot of people who were interested in, right? Yeah. Um, any other, any other, uh, you know, a program that, that made curious and you had different, you know, a lot of people uh, being involved in it. So whenever we have a class that has a, a diverse group of patrons in it, it's a major success. So the mini painting class that we just did had 15 people and half of them were teenagers, which is just a big success. Uh, getting the teens in there um, just makes me really happy. Um, and we had uh, more guys than we usually do in our programs. So that was great. Um, we've had some other programs. Um, an outside speaker did a program on Blender uh, previously. Um, and everyone in the audience were varying ages and they were all guys and um that was just different because that's not how most of our classes are and so we were really excited um 
Does that sound okay? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're doing great. You're doing great because I because I I remember um, uh, when I first started Blender. Oh, I'm I was in awe. Can you do this much with just Blender and it's a free software and like you know it's huge. And and then uh, the person who trained me kind of like uh, you know spoke about the Blender guru. There's this there are a lot of folks in YouTube where who teach blend um, you know how to use the program and everything. Right. And uh, so there was this um, you know video of how they made a living room everything made in blender uh, from the couch to every single design that was done was made in blender and it was like a movie and i was like no it sounds so realistic you know it, uh, and it, it's it's like you wouldn't um you know because it's so neat and clean that's when you start to, that doesn't seem right. It's not human. It's like something. And even that, they tried to change or, uh, you know, give it another, uh, uh, some some kind of an effect to make it more human. Uh, like with the, um, you know, with the couch of being, you know, different so that you know, um, the design was so cool. And um, you could probably make a movie out of it or animation out of it, you know? Yeah, it's, it's a robust program. Mm -hmm. It has a lot of things you can do with it. And it's very, very overwhelming to look at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, it's it's fun. Uh, it's definitely fun, but it's just that it's intense. It gets intense later on. <laughs> it starts off like, oh, yeah, I wanted to do it. But when you start doing it, oh, shoot. Now, what do I do with this? And there are too many details uh, that the program, uh, you know. Uh, it's one that I still don't know any. I, I, I barely know anything about Blender. I've attempted using it. Um, but uh, then I just, I just went off and did other things. <laughs> It's just not one of those programs that seems to be for me. We have a you know amazing person who does Blender over here at our makerspace, and um, he does um, you know basically architectural stuff, you know, and um, redesigning. When whenever we want to redesign our space, like he would create a model, he would create everything so good, and you know, so it makes it oh this is exactly what we want we like it because like that model is kind of like really fa fascinating and the one thing that made me interested in blender is uh, my obsession towards uh tiny houses and okay. so creating those models you know even though i can't build one i just wanted to create one create one you know project where starting from scratch i have this yeah. model and um it's really fascinating um so uh, um, my next question uh again um is gonna be um okay what what would you say is the most sought after tool or equipment in your space the laser laser okay yeah um so we do statistics on everything um and I recommend that on everything, um, just to have 
have those to fall back on whenever you're doing something. Um, and they really come in handy uh, because we had, um, we had our one laser and it was just being overrun. Uh, we have a reservation system and it was just being slammed. Uh, and people were trying to come in and wait and see if reservations were canceled or if, if the people just didn't show up or things like that. And so it was just, it was making people spend more of their time than I wanted them to. You know, I didn't want them to have to sit there for two hours waiting for a laser to maybe be available. And so we looked into getting another one and we did an action step and we used all of our stats to set, to say why we needed another one. And the main thing was usage. It is used constantly. Um, I'm trying to remember the stat, the statistics for it. I believe it's been used. It's been checked out over 1500 times now in four years. And that's the one laser. The other laser is newer. Um, and we got it just when COVID hit, so it didn't get used for quite a bit. Um, so it's, it's still just beginning, but um, it's constantly in use, both of them now. And so having the additional resource is great because we need it. <laughs> Talking about, um, you know, uh, budget, I think a lot of libraries had to go through that um, even even before COVID and um, and now after COVID. Uh, what is it like um, when dealing with, uh, you know, budget uh, when it comes to libraries, you know, even to get approved to get a, a, a small equipment, you had to go through a long process. And that's right. that's just how libraries roll and so what is the process like when it comes to you know so it depends on what you're purchasing um if it's going to be small things um a lot of libraries have been working um to get maker spaces or have just opened maker spaces with grants and other external sources of, of money um we were lucky enough uh, that we were mostly funded, we, we were funded um, by the city. And so we have an established budget of what we can spend in a year for programming, for the 3D, 3D print plastic, for maintenance, for all of that stuff. And so I just have to manage that um, and make sure, you know, that it works throughout the whole year. Um, and you want to make sure you have money if something goes wrong. Mm -hmm. um, but if, if you have a need for like a new machine or something like that, like we did with the laser, we went, we did something separate from that. We did an action step, which was, we asked city council. We said, please let us get another one because the city, we have people using it and they're utilizing it for lots of things. And you know, we had to fill out paperwork for it and, and have it go through the process. Um, and then we had to wait and wait. And so it's a waiting game. Um, but you know, it's, it's going to be that way pretty much in any 
library that you go to, um, you know, you have you have your way of things, your order you have to process. Um, but there are other things like if we need, like I said, more 3D print plastic uh, filament. If we need filament, I can just put in an order with our technical services and we can have it shipped to us. So we have different budgets for different things and every library works a little bit differently, mm-hmm. uh, but we've kind of gotten it down to a science at this point. Uh, so you you also mentioned that you do um, collection and development uh, for your library. And how does, uh, you know, collection development uh, uh, help in, uh, you know, in applying uh, whatever those skills in a makerspace? Like, how does, how do you handle collection development in a makerspace? It's a good question. <laughs> it, it just, you know, I thought of this because yeah. you mentioned collection and development. And I'm, I was wondering, okay, how did that work? Because like, you know, it's, it's something that I've never thought, I, I, I did not prepare for that question, but I just yeah. like, off the bat. Well, we actually, the way that we, um, we did things when the makerspace was created was there was a budget uh, set aside for um, collection development for the makerspace. And so, um, just like all the other libraries that do collection development, um, it is for the make book. So we've created our own um, our own call number and everything. And so a lot of the books that are in that collection are craft books, um, but there's also tech books. And you've got coding and you've got um, drones and Harry Potter scarves. And it's, everywhere <laughs> but that's because that's a makerspace it is pretty much everywhere so um we have to it has to be also be a smaller collection so um with with it being small that actually helps kind of narrow things down um but we have it in the makerspace so people can go through the books while they're there and they can check them out just like any other books. Um, and there are certain titles that we even have up in different sections of the library as well. If we think that they could be used uh, by different people in different sections. So it's definitely an interesting collection to work with. Um, Especially since, like I said earlier, there is there there is no laser book. Um, the latest one I was able to get was Coral Draw. I think it was Coral Draw X six or eight, very old version of Coral Draw manual. Um, very out of date now, but there's nothing after that because everyone's gone digital, and so. We don't have a lot of that, but we have all of these books about scarves being produced. We have to choose, you know, I, I have to choose which scarf books we're going to have down there versus what we're going to have up here. So it, it's a little bit of a balancing act, but um, it's just one of the one of the few things that I do. 
That is nice. I mean, uh, that that was something that I was curious to know how you you would handle um, since you being um, a librarian, being able to do a lot of stuff. You know, yeah. it's it's not easy it's at all. It's busy. I can I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's nice. Um, so, what advice would you give um, to pa patrons or students interested in working at a makerspace? One thing I'd say would be to see if there's a makerspace around, maybe if it's not, maybe not even the one you want to work at, but if there's one, it's free, public library, something, join it, look at the machines, see if any of them interest you. If you hate all of them, that might be a red flag, because um, that can also, you know, keep you from investing in something that you may not like, but it could also make you more interested in what you you want. Ooh, this is cool. And then you get into the machines. Likewise, if you're going to do something like that, if you go into an interview, you're more marketable. You have more knowledge um, that, that makes it a lot easier for people to remember you and to also um, yeah, to remember you. <laughs> I will. I will definitely take that because, like, yeah, I, I'm, and that's that's how I feel right now. Um, where I'm in the in a, in a process where I need to learn as much as I can, and then when I'm out of here, it's kind of like you know, um, so that you can market yourself uh, and you know. Uh, show what experience that you could, you know, uh, bring to the table later on. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, you have to sell yourself in an interview. And so you want to have those aspects that you can sell. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's, that's valuable for me, <laughs> for sure. Um, what qualities uh, do you look for in a, you know, student worker or, um, you know, a part-time staff? or a staff? So when we hired the tech who we have uh, that works full-time in there, we did specific, uh, specific things like create a flyer for a program and things like that. So creativity, um, uh, but also knowledge of the space. So anything that can kind of show that. Uh, and a level of excitement. <laughs> it's a space that, you know, you don't want to interview and be excessively quiet about. It's, it's something, it's interesting. It's something that you really want to be a part of. And you want to show that. You don't want to go overboard. You don't want to go crazy. But, you know, and showing enthusiasm is, is good. Um, so I, I would look for enthusiasm and, like I said, creativity and knowledge. Uh, yeah, creativity, I think um, it's the base for the makerspace, like uh, creativity and, and also being able to, uh, uh, the willingness to learn mm -hmm. is something that is yeah. a critical aspect that I, you know, not, not just this, it applies for everything. Uh, the yeah, I, meant to add, to I meant to say that one too. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, willingness to learn uh, is something that I, I found, uh, you know, uh, which it would really help to for you to grow and also uh, learn different skills, I think. Um, but the creative aspect is something that not everyone are born with creative creative aspects, you know. So I don't know how um, one would teach creativity to uh, right. a community of folks, but how did you handle that part? How did you treat anything that is creative? Or sometimes you might come across patrons who are very creative, but don't know how to apply the application process into you know whatever that that is being that is in their mind to onto a, a uh, you know onto a solid physical thing that they our programs we we tend to do one of two things we tend to either make it completely free form where it's um, we uh, oh my tech did. Um, make and take what she, what they call them. I have to say it correctly because it has to be said correctly. It's that awesome. Um, for anti-Valentine's Day, because it can't be Valentine's Day. Uh, <laughs> we had this whole uh, program and it was, it was come and go and it was for a couple different days and it was very fluid. Everyone could just come and make things and then go. And we didn't tell them what to make. We just had a whole bunch of stuff on the table. And we just said, go. And there was some amazing stuff that came out of it. And you could tell, you know, some, some people are more scared of that because that's not their forte. They're not usually in they don't usually think of something they want more structure they want to be creative to a degree and so in order to give them that that's when we have the other classes where we tend to have um, we tend to create a handout that gives general information about what we're going to do Sometimes it'll go step by step that they can do use for future. And then we print it and we put it out on a display so people can use it. And if in a future, they can just come in and take it. Um, but uh, sometimes it's also just information about it. But we'll be up there and we'll do like a presentation and we'll talk about what we're doing. And then we give them a little, you know, they got their little bit of freedom there as well. And different people respond very well to that. And so we try not to do too much of one and not cater to the other. We want to try and cater to both um, because they're both very interesting ways of learning and mm -hmm. you can get some really, really fun things that people make. I still, ha I still haven't found it yet. Here, hold on. Anti-Valentine's craft make and take. Have you lost that loving feeling? Can't breathe with all that noxious love in the air? For this come and go event, stop by the hive to divert your angst through mixed media crafting. Oh my God. 
So, uh, oh, that is awesome. Oh, my God. Who came up with this idea? Shout out to Megan. Oh, my. I love it. I love it. I love it. Was, it. I love me. it. I've, that, that is that is so good. I mean, like, yeah. just thinking about it. It's so yeah. good. <laughs> but there were uh, there were so many things that they could use. Frames and, and like little little silicone brains and like all these things that they had purchased and so it was a very interesting fun event we had quite a turnout with kids um, adults and teens and so um, very diverse and it was great we were happy so um, we I think we are almost to the end of our <laughs> uh, interview and I want if you want to summarize um, about your makerspace to uh, you know your community folks or anyone who's listening to what would you say the staff at the hive we really enjoy having everyone come in um, and seeing what they're doing all the time and teaching them new things and learning new things from them. We have some patrons that we have learned from as well. So I love the collaboration aspect of it. And we're getting new people every day. And I hope we just keep getting more and more. Amazing. Thanks for listening to our UNT MindSpark podcast, and I hope you enjoyed our discussion with Kristen. Until next time with another episode of Make a Life Stories, signing off, Madhin.